0: You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJ's Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland.
1: It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. It's midnight
0: somewhere. Hi, this is Mistress McCutcheon, the one with the green hair, coming to you from downtown Toronto, and I am joined virtually by my partner in crime, the one with the beard. That would be the Wasteland.
1: Hi, I'm Laura's beard.
0: (laughs) That's kind of wrong. That's very wrong. What,
1: that's not how you use that phrase? (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Okay, clearly it's not. I'm sorry.
0: Womp womp. All right. Well, today's episode, we're talking about music and horror movies. Now, music is so deeply aligned with horror like no other genre in Evoking Emotions. Those dissonant tones set up the audience for the scare or for whatever ominous event is about to take place. So it could be from the squeal of the violins in Psycho to the infamous soundtrack letting you know the shark is coming or even that thud of the bass in The Thing
1: sometimes because especially as you get later into the 80s which are slasher flicks there's always that one class clown character the goofball who's doing something stupid and you think something bad's about to happen and then it's just somebody being an
0: asshole yeah (laughs) but subtracting the music would you'd lose half the story it would take away so much from a horror film And considering goth embraces the beauty in the darkness, there's so much music to be enjoyed within this genre, and that's what inspired this topic for this episode. So to kick off, I think we need to put a song in here. So we're gonna drop in WLDV, this is Cry of the Banshee. So in talking about horror, our our specialty and sort of our favorite is the 1980s. That particular era of uh, horror definitely uh, strikes us in a special way. (laughs) And we we can't really start talking about 80s slashers and, and 80s horror without going backwards a little bit. And this is where we need to talk about Giallo.
1: So what is Giallo?
0: So Giallo which is derived from the Italian word for, for yellow. Uh, yellow horror comes from pulp novels with these yellow covers. And this is a genre that was developed in the mid to late 1960s, and it peaked in popularity during the 70s and then kind of declined in mainstream filmmaking. But this is very much considered a precursor to the American slasher film genre as seen in the 1970s and the 80s. Now, the characteristics of a giallo film or giallo uh, are very debatable, but broadly defined, you can see that there are these very stylized sort of arthouse camera work uh, kind of films. They have excessive blood. They include themes of madness, alienation, sexuality and paranoia there's always a hunt for the killer. And it's often a black leather gloved killer involved. And there's also often zooming in on the eyes and some eye trauma, especially with a particular director that we're going to talk about.
1: So to talk about Giallo, you really have to talk and to narrow it down to the length of our podcast. We're going to talk about four directors today. And that's Argento, Bava and Fulci. Yes. And there's there's two Bava's involved. There's Yeah, there's two Bava's, so it's going to be Bava Bava. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So Dario Argento is known for films uh, as a director for, you know, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Suspiria, Inferno, Deep Red, and Phenomena. Uh, He also served as George A. Romero's script consultant on Dawn of the Dead, Uh, of which he also composed a soundtrack with his longtime collaborators Goblin, an Italian prog rock band that's been active since 1972 in varying incarnations. Uh, The last collaboration they had with Argento was the 2001 film Sleepless.
0: Okay, and then there's Mario Bava, the director of what are considered the earliest giallo films, The Evil Eye in 1963 and Blood and Black Lace in 1964. And his son, Lamberto Bava, whose career started in the mid-60s, assisting his father on Planet of the Vampires. Lamberto Bava is also known for the 1985 film Demons and Demons 2. He assisted Argento on the 1982 film Tanabra while shooting A Blade in the Dark, which involves the story of a film composer working on scoring a, a horror film. And then there's Lucio Fulci who is known for various horror films like City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, The Black Cat, and The House by the Cemetery, and Giallo. His first Giallo was One on Top of the Other, which was from 1969, which could be considered a precursor to Basic Instinct or Body of Evidence. And it's about a doctor in San Francisco suspected of orchestrating his wife's death as part of an insurance scam, although she turns up later as a a high-priced stripper. He also directed the controversial The New York Ripper, which even to this day is censored because of its gory, sleazy, misogynistic violence. Uh, it's such a an odd film uh, seeing this sort of capsule of New York in that time period in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, around Times Square before it was disnified. And Fulci is that director who... You can get a, a, you can tell a Lucci film by the eye trauma and these eye zoom, zooming in and that sort of thing. I I don't know what the, I'm not sure what the, the fascination there is, but it's certainly a trademark. The thing with some Giallo is you have to get used to the dubbing because sometimes the dubbing is really bad. And a lot of these films can be really over the top as far as uh, the sex and violence. Uh, But again, this, this is, You can see the connection between that and then what we've seen as far as movies in the 80s. Now, we're bringing up Giallo because there's also a whole crop of neo-Giallo available as well. And two films I'd like to bring up would be uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which is a French film that came out in 2013. The story involves a businessman who comes home from a trip only to find his wife has gone missing. It's visually stunning, and there's some pretty far-out psychedelic sequences, but the film itself is pretty abstract, and you can lose what's going on pretty easily. The other film, also French, uh, is called Knife Plus Heart, otherwise known as A Knife in the Heart, and it came out in 2018, scored by M83, the film takes place in Paris, 1979, and the plot revolves around Anne, who's a gay porn director whose actors are being brutally murdered one by one. Now, again, with the especially with the neo-giallo and that throwback, that sort of nostalgia of the the late 70s, early 80s there There's a music that definitely sets the tone, and this is what plays into some of the music uh, that we know and love today. One of the bands that's that dark electro that's got that cinematic giallo feel is the French band Carpenter Brute. Now, the name allegedly was derived from the surname of the filmmaker, John Carpenter. Uh, Carpenter Brute scored the film Blood Machines, where the soul of a machine is a woman that they chase through outer space. And they do have an upcoming album that's due out early this year called Leather Terror.
1: So the other connection is for the older Giallo movies, they uh, had a style of music that it was basically a disco, uh, kind of, you know, low budget scores, but they were fairly prevalent for their time. And uh, as we were told in something you'll hear... Maybe not today, but later in the future. They were all over the radio in Europe. So they kind of caught, you know, a certain aspect of that and popularized it to the point where there was a label that was founded, I think, 2012? Yeah. Called Giallo Disco. Where? Or gi- sorry. Yeah, Giallo Disco. Yeah. Where they are doing an Italo-styled, like, little horror movie soundtrack reels. Um movies that don't exist. Uh, (laughs) um, Largely. Um, And it's got that Italo feel, but it's definitely got that horror edge to it, you know, with the suspense and the music and some of the albums are, are made to sound and progress like you would in a horror movie and then of course every once in a while they'll put out a label comp where it's like hey here's all the people that are involved um it's really cool stuff i i highly recommend you give it a listen and we're gonna drop a fairly new release in i think right here
0: yeah so this song actually came from the soundtrack karaoke night uh which is a film that came out in october of 2020 what song do you want to drop in
1: so uh karaoke night, the soundtrack is a collaboration between Ante, Anthony Mayovi and Rika, I'm not even gonna pronounce that name correctly. Cesares. So it is we're gonna go with the title track, karaoke night, uh, because it's the only one that's like full song length.
0: So moving forward, two people who reinvented music in horror uh, that we need to uh, call attention to. Uh, The first one we want to include is John Carpenter, the American filmmaker of Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, and They Live. Uh, And his birthday is actually January 16th. So by the time this episode is released, it'll be uh, just passed. Now, John Carpenter began school at Western Kentucky University, where his father was the chair of the music department, but then he transferred to the University of Southern California. He dropped out to make his first feature film, but it was his father's work that sparked his interest in music. Now, he composed soundtracks purely out of need because he didn't have the means to hire a composer. But uh, there's been quite a revived interest in his music due to Death Waltz records, which reissued several of his soundtracks, as well as the Lost Themes album. One of the songs I'd like to play for you here comes from the Lost Themes album, and that's Night. And this is the Zola Jesus and Dean Hurley remix.
1: witness to run the stars. So that's going to bring us, I think, to the other person that really kind of broke ground in how horror movies, American horror movies, utilized music in in the '80s, and that would be Harry Manfredi of Friday the Thirteenth fame. He has kind of an interesting uh, path to Friday the Thirteenth. He had done three scores before that. Uh, one was for an art house porn flick. That was his first, and then he did two short stories, two uh, short films. He scored those and. He and his partner won Academy Awards for those. But then his partner decided to leave New York and go to uh, California. So when they approached him for to do a score by himself for Friday the 13th, he took it because he didn't know if he was going to get work again. He was just trying to keep food on the table. He had a doctorate in music and was trying to pay bills. Now, <laughs> uh, the interesting thing here is... He came, comes up with the, uh, the key, 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 ma, ma, ma that you hear constantly throughout the Friday the 13th movies because as he's watching it, he's like, the movie's very sparse. We have no idea who the killer is. So why not represent the killer through the music? Why not have the score actually be the killer until Betsy Palmer shows up? Because it was on the ninth reel of the film that she shows up. So it was an interesting thing, and he sold Sean Cunningham on that. And then if you listen to the rest of the the movie, it has very sparse areas, very long-held notes. And because, as I said, he has a doctorate in music, he actually used musical stylings that they use in building tension in operas to get there, to to bring that kind of soundtrack. He's also seen a bit of a revival through uh, Waxwork Records which is done collector's editions of just the pure score. There's no remixes on any of them. It's just literally music from the movies. And they're all pretty cool. I have most of them. (laughs) I'm missing part eight, uh, which is the last movie he did. Uh, He scored the first eight movies with Paramount before New Line bought the franchise. Um So instead of doing something like that, I'd rather drop in a track here, which heavily samples his original score for a little bit something more modern. And that's from a group called Dream Black. And the name of the track is Mommy.
0: we are in the 1980s, and it very much feels like heavy metal was the genre for horror. Uh, the examples could be hearing Dawkins uh, doing the Dream Warriors soundtrack. There's Motorhead and Iron Maiden and Argento's Phenomena. But there are other soundtracks featuring songs that speak specifically to us as far as being within the goth industrial realm. So I think the first thing that
1: anybody's going to jump to is The Lost Boys. Because, uh, yep. you know, Cry Little Sister is a song that still gets played and still gets covered. <laughs> um, and then there's Echo and the Bunnymen did a cover of People Are Strange, which actually runs under the under the credits there. And I didn't realize that was a cover until I think you pointed out to me a couple of months ago. <laughs> so I, th- th- that's how faithful of a cover it is.
0: And then we've got Bauhaus featured in two different films. Of course, Bella Lugosi's Dead in The Hunger and there's Stigmata Martyr in Night of the Demons, which I found out recently that Night of the Demons actually got remade in 2009. And I have so many questions. Why? Why? Why do they need to do that?
1: Um, Money usually is the answer. Usually it's money. <sighs> <laughs> or, or somebody just wanted to write a love letter to Night of the Demons. But I mean, there's so much... <sighs> Night of the Demons is one of those movies that was so simple and so special, but actually left enough questions around. You could have done something in the same vein without having to do a remake.
0: Fair. Yeah. Anyway. As far as a, a more modern film, uh, if we hop over to the 90s, uh, Nick Cave's Red Right Hand is featured in Scream. And then uh, we brought up uh, Argento with Phenomena Uh Andy sex gangs actually got a couple songs on that soundtrack. The Naked and the Dead is on that soundtrack. Uh, And there's another in the film called You Don't Know Me uh, in the late part of the film. What's funny about Phenomena is it's starring a very young Jennifer Connelly. This is a couple years before Labyrinth. This film comes out, it has a couple different versions, uh, because there's a shorter version of the film. Uh, it was released as Creepers in the U.S. initially. Then there's Return of the Living Dead, which the whole soundtrack kind of encapsulates uh, the death rock punk scene of 1985. It features 45 graves party time, the cramps surf and dead, and the dam's deadbeat dance is in that film.
1: Then, when you get into the 90s, you get Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, a personal cheese favorite of mine. Um, it, it's mostly a metal uh, soundtrack, but it does have. An unreleased version of Tonight We Murder from Ministry, which is very interesting. And definitely before they were more of a metal band. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention The Crow, which comes out a year or two after Tales from the Crypt. And, you know, it, it kicks right off with The Cure on there. It's got Nine Inch Nails covering Joy Division, uh, Thrill Kill Cults on there, and Jesus and Mary Chain. This, this album for me was kind of... It's definitely progressed because uh, I picked it up when it came out, but I picked it up for very different bands than I than I listened to tracks on there today. I think this is the first Cure song that I actually liked because uh, I was more of a metal kid in my teenage years and uh, I hated Friday I'm in Love <laughs> and it was uh. all over the goddamn radio and MTV. And I was just like, they're too happy. I don't like this.
0: And my friends were like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. And now I do. Uh, the other album that I, I'd really like to mention is uh, talking about Hellraiser because Coil had a an unreleased soundtrack for Hellraiser, which is quite excellent. I believe the the quote from Clive Barker for it not being used is that it it made his bowels churn uh, upon hearing it, but um, it makes perfect sense with with the film. So uh, it's a shame it would be. It makes me wonder what kind of if it would have changed or altered the film having Coil edited in to uh, into Hellraiser
1: you know somebody should do that if you're listening and you have those uh, abilities uh, I'd go for it. I'm sure somebody would pay you money for that
0: Oh for sure well there's a whole thing on uh, on YouTube somebody took uh, various horror films and recut them and put them to more upbeat music. They re-edited Psycho to be like a rom-com. And the same thing with The Shining. Someone re-edited The Shining and it's got like Peter Gabriel music and they make it like a family movie. And and again, it's it's wild how music and music and editing and how those two things marry together and can really lend so much to the story. But if you find those on YouTube, highly recommend it. It's it's fun. It's really fun. Somebody had some time, and uh, and it's definitely fun to see those re edits that Psycho as a rom com.
1: I, I have to check that out. Do we want to drop something in from one of the aforementioned soundtracks?
0: Sure. I think one of my favorites here would we'd have to drop in the Naked and the Dead from Andy Sex Gang. Among the music that we love, there are so many different examples of songs that use horror as samples. And the first one that comes to the top of my mind is Skinny Puppy. Now, the probably most obvious example uh, and the first one that'll come to my mind is uh, from Evil Dead 2, which came out in 1987, and the song Who's Laughing Now, which has that as the sample in the song. Uh, Skinny Puppy is also sampled. There's a there's a film from 1973 called The Legend of Hell House, the vocal Church in Hell in the song Church, as well as a sample uh, from Legend of Hell House on love. And then we talked about Hellraiser just earlier. Fascist Jokic, which is on rabies, samples uh, Jesus Wept from Hellraiser. And there's also a line from Scanners as well.
1: And then, of course, not, you know, Frontline Assembly comes along, and I wonder why they were, had similar uh, influences, um, Billy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Lethal Compound, the har- harmful of swallowed mix, uses I Want to Hear You Scream, I Want to Hear You Scream Again, from the 1988 film The Serpent and the Rainbow. Uh, my Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, The Devil Does Drugs, used a sample from a 1977 Mexican horror called Al- Alucarda and
0: Alucarda
1: clock- yeah Alucarda am I saying that right I think so I- I'm basing that on uh, my Castlevania knowledge <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Clock TVA Synology of Sex 2 uses a sample from 1971 Belgian film I'm not going to pronounce that you should do that one
0: La Livre Rouge uh, The Red Lips I think it's a vampire movie
1: Sounds like it.
0: And then leather strip uh, rotation axis off uses samples from both Legend of Hellhouse and from Poltergeist Two. There's a sample. You're all gonna die in there.
1: Now uh, I will just say for anybody listening, if you're an Agrotech fan, throw a dart. You'll hit a band. There's a horror sample in it. We're not gonna get into that. That would take all year. <laughs>
0: I think these are some pretty major ones that uh, that kind of popped up as I was uh, doing my research here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, we could keep going, but let's not and say we did.
0: Well, again, I'm sure there's so much more. Uh, it's just a funny thing when you're watching a movie and then all of a sudden you recognize the sample and go, "Oh shit! Okay, that's from." So and so. That's yeah. oh yeah. That's from Skinny Puppy. Or I've always just wondered kind of where that line came from. Right, right. It's called oh we we were watching horror movies at three in the morning, and this is this are the things that pop up.
1: <laughs> and of course, you can't talk about horror music without talking about horror punk.
0: Hell yeah.
1: Because if you've tuned into any of our streams, as you know, uh, Ms. McCutcheon is really into the death rock and the punk stuff, and what you might not know from listening to what I play is that I am too. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the Misfits. Yes, they all got older and all turned into D-bags, but back in 1977, when they pretty much started the genre, as far as we could tell, in Lodi, New Jersey, of all fucking places...
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're really the pioneers of the sound because horror punk rose in the in the late 70s, so for them, 1977. And, and then there's more in the 1980s taking inspiration from horror movies and sonically sounds like proto-goth and punk. And uh, of course, yeah, they crossover with Death Rock.
1: Not And then eventually, yeah, they cross over to Death Rock and the Misfits even cross over into hardcore punk by the end, like right yeah. near the end with Earth AD. So... And then you have 40, 45 Grave, who formed in uh, L.A. in 1979. Uh, and they've been through various incarnations since fronted by singer Dinah Cancer.
0: Dinah Cancer, yep. And, uh, of course, Party Time, uh, as we've mentioned in uh, The Return of the Living Dead. And then there's TSOL, which formed in 1980 in Long Beach. Uh, their second album, Dance With Me, which came out in 81, showcases more of that horror punk sound. Code Blue would be a really good standout about it. If you listen to the lyrics, it's about a necrophiliac who's describing his uh, tendencies.
1: And then the Screaming Dead formed in 1980 in Cheltenham, UK, named for the English title of a 1972 Spanish horror film.
0: Yeah, and they've been around for quite a while in a couple different uh, incarnations as well and uh, have been active today. I know I can certainly say I've played them uh, in some of the prophecy streams and I've heard them in a couple other places online as well too. All right. I'd like to drop in. Let's let's drop in T.S.O.L. Let's put in Code Blue. So that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. I'm happy to announce that we're going to be doing a Horror Wave edition of Prophecy, and that's coming up on January 21st. Uh, it's going to be at 10 p.m. Toronto time, and both uh, both of us are going to throw together a curated set to uh, accompany this particular episode.
1: Another thing we have coming up is we sat down and got a chance to talk to Anthony Maiovi. Uh, who is one of the founders of Giallo Disco Records. And it was originally going to be part of this episode, but he is a very delightful human who we just couldn't stop talking to. So we're going to do that as its own thing. And that'll probably come out between this and the actual February episode at some point. So keep an eye out for that. Um, It's a pretty delightful chat, and we get really into like horror music and inspiration from the composition side of it with him, which is kind of a cool companion episode for this.
0: Yeah, it was actually a really great conversation so but otherwise if you have any questions any feedback that you'd like to give us you can find us on Facebook or you can drop us an email at it's midnight somewhere podcast at gmail.com and of course every Friday night we're on Twitch you can find us at twitch.tv slash prophecy underscore online and that wraps it up for us until we make it through this dystopian nightmare that we live in we'll talk to you next time This podcast
1: was almost called. I'm just going to open my legs and see if there's any takers.